0: You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash First Paw Media. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the Northern Lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today.
1: Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Robert, and you're listening to Mushing. And tonight, I am joined by a professional photographer. Her name is Whitney McLaren, and she's calling in from the Fairbanks, Two Rivers, Alaska area. Whitney, how's it going tonight?
2: It's going pretty good.
1: Well, thank you very much for joining us. I know you and I connected on Facebook. I've been following you for quite a while with your amazing photos, and I can't wait to talk about that. But before we do, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're all about, please?
2: I moved to Alaska when I was 15, and uh, I've now lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else. I really love dogs and photography and mushing. And then I'm also an archaeologist uh, throughout the summer. So I definitely enjoy being outside and kind of just staying active, I guess.
1: So let's jump into that. I I didn't know the archaeologist side of it. Tell us a little bit about that. What got you started in that? Did you go to school for that?
2: I did go to school for it, but um, after... Uh, I did two summers as an archaeologist assistant in um, Delta Junction. There was a program there uh, through the military base. Um, There's an archaeologist on army lands uh, located at Fort Wainwright in Fairbanks um, that manages the lands around Delta Junction and around Eielson Air Force Base and then across the Tanana River. And um, I worked with the company that manage those lands and was able to come back a second year. And then I decided to pursue archeology span and anthropology. I, I started doing that um, at the University of Billings in Mon- or University of Montana in Billings, um, but then I couldn't stay away from Alaska and I pursued the rest of my degree at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And simultaneously, With my anthropology degree, I did a minor in art and had a lot of focus on photography through that.
1: So when you were working at the uh, site in Delta Junction, what were you researching or looking at?
2: Um, We manage uh, different properties that, or different sites that prehistoric people um, used as maybe hunting or lookout points for travel and there are sites pretty much anywhere that you would want to camp or travel through. People have done that throughout history, and we were looking for different um, places that people did that in the past.
1: That's pretty cool. And you said that you major, or excuse me, minored in photography there in college. Have you always had an interest in taking pictures, uh, even when you're younger?
2: I have. Um, it, it's kind of a family. kind of runs in the family. My grandpa always carried around a camera and was always taking pictures at family events. And um, my grandma worked with him and made albums for all of my siblings and cousins and from the pictures that my grandpa had taken. And my mom um, ended up taking all of our senior photos on a film camera. And my brother used that same camera for his uh, senior yearbook class. And then I have another, a younger brother who pursued photography at the art institute in seattle
1: so it's a family affair i would imagine your guys's instagram feeds are uh just a competition back and forth is that right (laughs)
2: um not really because we all kind of focus on slightly different things um and i guess we are kind of all competitive but we all like to share different things
1: And, and when we were talking off air whitney you said that uh you specialize in sled dogs weddings and pet photography. And of course, we're a mushing show, so we're going to jump way into that. But it seems like those are, and I'm not a photographer by any means, but it seems like those are vastly different styles of photography. Can you explain a little bit to our listeners who may not know what it takes to do each of those three? You know, the weddings are obviously capturing that moment, whereas the you know, the pet photography is different, and of course, mushing is even more different. Can you explain the three?
2: Pet photography, out of the three, is probably one of the easier. Easier is not the best word, but one of the less stressful of the less stressful for me of the three. Um, but races and weddings are actually pretty similar in my book. Um, the biggest comparison that I have is the Yukon Quest and weddings because you've got a shot list. Um, the Yukon Quest is how I got a lot of my start in following mushing and following races. And we were given shot lists that we had to follow and different things that we had to get along the way. And just like on the wedding, um, a lot of those moments only happen once. And if you don't see them or you don't capture them, then you don't get it.
1: <laughs> right. Sometimes
2: people are gracious and will let you recreate it, but you, you just have... A fraction of time to get the shot, and there's always the build up and there's different things that you anticipate that are going to happen. You know, the dogs are going to be coming down the trail. The bride's going to be coming down the aisle. Those things are all planned, but sometimes things don't go exactly as planned. So you've always got to be able to roll with the punches and adapt to the situation.
1: So let's compare and contrast those two events, if you will, a wedding and a sled dog race like the Yukon Quest. So I would imagine that you spend quite a bit of time with the uh, with the couple before they get married to plan out what you're going to do, where you're going to be, you know, lighting and all that sort of stuff. What is the lead up time for that? So if I call you up and say, hey, I want to get married on XYZ date, can you be my photographer what does that look like if if I'm wanting to hire you?
2: I've had a pretty variable timeline. Um, the The longest out, surprisingly, is only about a year. I had somebody message me about a year, a year ahead of time. And initially, when I saw their message, I was like, "This is next week. <laughs> what are you talking about? We're not doing this next week." Um, but it's still. Uh, you've got to think about the lighting on that day. And like you said, the different situations that you're going to have to do the way the venue is going to go. And even, even if you're trying to plan it out a year in advance, there's things that are going to change. There's things that you're going to have to adjust for. And a lot of, I, I do the initial phone call or meet up with the couple. And then I try and do two to three more and they get closer together as the date gets closer for their wedding.
1: You had mentioned on the Yukon Quest that you're given a shot list, and that's the first that I've heard of something like that. So that's really interesting to to fall into. What does that look like, and how does it compare to a wedding? Obviously, people that follow Mushing know about the, the hubbub and the, the hecticness of of a race and all that's going on. It's just pretty much managed chaos from, from a race organization's point of view. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: The, the Yukon Quest is actually the only race that I've had a major shot list on. Um, I've tried to kind of work with other races to figure out what they need or what they want. But the biggest reason that the Quest had a shot list was because they had sponsors that they promised photos. So they promised um, situations where their sponsored product or uh, sponsored, I guess it's all just products, the sponsored item. Uh, had to be staged or shown with the mushers at the start shoot, um, different things like that. And the sponsors were then given the photo evidence that their items were being used for the race and how they were being used for the race. Uh, but then on top of that, different photos like were given because mushers have bib sponsors uh, for the Quest and for the Iditarod and there's certain photos that had to be taken with the bib certain photos that had to be taken at specific checkpoints and that's kind of what the list was compiled of and then there's also of course just everything that you would think of at a dog race you know dog care the dog handlers fans mushers leaving the start line all the banners the shoot all those things and some of it was just second nature. Like, of course, we're going to take pictures of that. But then there were those things that are that you have to get, you have to get a picture of this banner with a dog in front of it, you have to get uh, this item being used at this event and things like that.
1: So on on the um, the lead up to the quest, uh, we talked about with the wedding, it could be upwards to a year before uh, before you actually sit down and take the actual photos. What is the lead up to the quest? Is it uh, a few months or what?
2: it's changed because um when i started with the quest the quest was a thousand miles it went from fairbanks to Whitehorse right. or white horse to fairbanks now it's um i met with the quest on tuesday i think it was um today's thursday so <laughs> it's two months before the race um of course when i was on um the official yukon quest pr team I was constantly talking with uh, the person that I was working with on the quest. They had a PR manager and uh, we're good friends now. She was actually supposed to be at my wedding. So <laughs> there was just constant communication for the quest it, at that time.
1: So when, when you are contacted and they give you this shot list, uh, give us an idea of how many photos they're looking for. If they hand you that sheet of paper or, or email or whatever it is. I mean, is it hundreds of photos is it 10 or 20 photos what are what's the what is the typical shot list look like
2: it was about six pages single spaced
1: oh wow so, so a whole lot
2: but but it had a lot of those general things like repeated for each checkpoint i mean the quest had 11 checkpoints so there's all those things listed out there
1: And like you said, uh, they want a shot with the dog under the banner or a shot coming in or a shot leaving or whatever. And you're just trying to get whatever you can. So I think a lot of people, Whitney, when they think about uh, photographers in general, especially if you watch sports, they're constantly clicking photos. I would imagine like at a football game, literally hundreds, if not thousands of photos are clicked in that three hour span. I would imagine it's something similar to a sled dog race, is that is that the uh, the right thing to think of?
2: Definitely, because it's there's <laughs> from the start of the race. Usually, um, dog trucks are moving in at uh, ten a.m. or before, until the sun goes down around uh, three or four, and then checkpoint photos after that. Like it, it I'm taking pictures sometimes from ten a.m. to ten p.m. With, I mean, brakes for driving, of course, but that's a lot of photos.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I would imagine a lot of batteries, a lot of data, all of that, Uh, and, of course, all of the logistics that comes with going on a a race like that, especially when it was a 1,000-mile race, just all of that 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 you have to take care of because you're literally hopscotching down the trail in order to to be at those checkpoints, especially if you're trying – to get the leaders of the pack or whatever. So I guess another unfamiliar question from a non-photographer's stance. So if you have all of these photos, who is the one choosing eventually? Obviously the client, but are you taking all of these hundreds of photos and saying, okay, this is my best 10 of of the circle checkpoint, or, or how does that work?
2: For the quest, uh, for the Yukon quest, it was, and I wasn't, when it was a thousand miles, I wasn't the only photographer that we had a, a small team. And we, what we would do is we would um pick our top shots and then from the top shots the rest of the PR team, there was four of the people on the PR team, would pick <clears throat> some of the better shots that would be used and the quest technically still has access to the majority of the photos that we took so they could use those if they needed them for something else.
1: Okay. And are you eventually paid for the photos that they choose? Are they paying you like in a contract form saying, hey, this is this is the deal for this week and a half, or is it by photo or does it kind of vary depending on the job?
2: Uh, it definitely varies depending on the job. For the Quest, um, I end up under contract, but for other races, it's pretty wide.
1: Okay, so I know that uh, we had talked off air and you're going to go do the Connect 200 here in in a couple of weeks or so, depending on uh, when this episode airs. So how does that work compared to something as big as the Yukon Quest? Are you under contract with that organization or are you trying to take photos of people then sell them? You know, I've bought a lot of photos that way where you take a bunch of photos and put them up online and... I can buy whichever ones I want.
2: I, I would love to be under contract with many of the races, but it doesn't always work out that way. The Quest has been fortunate to have it in their budget, but not all races do. And um, for a lot of the other races, like the K'nick, um, I sometimes am able to ask for gas money and they're able to give gas money uh, or help me with lodging when I have to stay there sometimes. But for the most part, the races get the coverage to be posted to their Facebook. And for those pictures, going back to your que- your question, um, I kind of pick some top shots, trying not to be super repetitive, um, and highlight events of the whole race and all the mushers in the race, and that's what gets put on their Facebook if the race gives me access to their Facebook. Um, and that's how the photos, some of the photos, get seen. And then. Um, It's just a small fraction of the photos that I've taken for the race. The majority of the pictures get uploaded and put on my website and are organized by race. So mushers and fans can go back and can look through galleries for different mushers in different races and um, can purchase prints or images that way. The race, if they would like images... um, It's still relatively new for me and these other races. Like, this will be my second year at the Connect 200, Um, my third year at some of the other races that I'm doing this year. The next race that I've done the longest, I think, is the Copper Basin 300. The Copper Basin 300 ends up asking for a picture for their poster, but they are able to help me with some accommodations and some gas money most most times. And the other way that I'm able to go to a lot of these races is that the Mushers are able to purchase a packages and like I said before I do my best to cover every musher I want to see photos of every team and I if I haven't seen a team then I will definitely seek them out so they have at least some pictures to be on Facebook because and this is one of the things that I use in weddings too and it's like your mom wants to see this picture of you <laughs> this is one the one thing that I usually have to tell grooms is like I know you don't care about yourself getting ready, but your mom wants to see you getting ready, like doing your tie, those final touches, um, putting uh, cufflinks on just the or your mom wants to be a part of that. And it's the same thing with these mushers that come up from the lower 48 or that their parents or other family can't attend these events like this is how I would like to help them be able to see them.
1: And, and, and that's exactly what I wanted to convey on this episode. I, when I reached out to you, I said, I want to see how we can show to our audience how you tell the story of a sled dog race. And you, everybody's seen the action shots of people on the trail or coming into the finish or whatever, those typical shots that we see. But like you said, it's those more candid or behind-the-scenes shots that that really tell the story, I think. So I definitely want to talk about access and copyright and all that, because I know that's a really big deal, but just staying on the race side for just a second. So if you take a picture of me coming into the finish, say, and I want to buy that photo for, for myself, but the race also wants that photo as well. How does that work? Uh, kind of in a broad stroke, if they want it and I want it, who eventually has to has to say that, you know, this is my photo versus theirs?
2: Um, well, it's my photo. <laughs> oh, of course, yes. <laughs> if you've entered into the race, um, it's very often that you've signed a photo release or um, it's in a lot of the race signups that you have acknowledged that you will be in photos. You will potentially be used to promote this race. Um If the race is going to purchase a photo from me or use a photo for those things, uh, my biggest thing is that it is used for promotion only. Um, If the race is going to make money from it, then we usually have to go into some usage usage rights and like I said, you've likely already signed that release with the race Um, and then being at a public event, it's kind of like, a I guess I don't know the best term for it, but as if you're participating in a public event, then I'm able to take pictures of you participating in that event.
1: Right. So, so, so realistically, Whitney, money could exchange hands twice, I guess, is the question. So the race could say, yes, we would like to use this photo for promo or whatever and pay you X dollars. And then I could buy it through your gallery, same exact shot, and, and pay for it and, and use that as well. Is that right?
2: That is correct. But if either of you wanted to go on and sell it and use essentially my work of art for anything to make money, then you and I would have issues.
1: Okay. So like if I used it for a poster or a sign or something like that, it would be something else entirely.
2: As long as you're not selling it, that's usually fine. Okay, Personal gotcha. Promotion
1: gotcha. Is so, allowed. So let's talk a little bit about a gear, and I think this is an important topic, especially for all the amateur photo uh, people out there. You know, most people these days are taking many, many shots with their iPhones or smartphones or whatever. Tell us a bit about maybe behind the scenes uh, tidbits, if you will, what are you using for gear? Do you have a particular camera that you always use a particular lens that gets that awesome shot? What, what is your go-to?
2: Um, my go-to is a Nikon D810 with a 70 to 200, uh, lens on it. It's my favorite for just about everything. Um, pet portraits I use an 85 millimeter, uh, so I guess that's the exception, but otherwise it's pretty much the 70 to 200 is always attached to my camera. If and I can't use that one, then I find something else that gives me a pretty good uh, length, uh, focal length to use.
1: And I would imagine on a sled dog race, you, you're finding yourselves in snowbanks and literally hanging upside down to get those particular shots. I would imagine you have some stories there.
2: I do a lot of laying in the snow or sometimes just flat out falling in the snow Um, (laughs) because you step off the trail and the trail can be much deeper in the soft snow than it is in the pack snow. I like to be dog level and if I can't be dog level then I like to add a perspective that you can't get from just standing.
1: Yeah. And, and and you have to be there, like you said, at that right moment and at that right spot, whether it's, you know, that particular angle coming into the, to the finish line or whatever, you have to have to know where to be at the right time. Like you said, you want to be able to capture that moment because it's only for a fleeting second and and then it's gone. So definitely cool stuff there. So before we talk about uh, a story or two, uh, let's talk a little bit about that copyright thing, and I think a lot of people are not versed enough in this, especially in, in today's age with social media. Uh, people see photos online of from wherever, whether you're taking them or whatever, and they think that it's okay to just, uh, you know, right-click and save on their computer, then pop it onto, onto their social media and, you know, put a caption on it and be ready to go. So as a photographer, what would you do as a PSA to all those people out there that do that very thing?
2: Um, I mean, the biggest thing, and this is this goes for everything in life, is make sure that you're giving credit where credit is due. Like, If people are helping you do different things, make sure that you're giving them a shout out and that photographer, whoever is taking your picture, deserves credit for what they've created. Um, 'Cause it takes a special eye to capture a lot of those special moments. Like not and I'm not speaking just for myself, any photographer out there that you are borrowing pictures from or just using any of their work, any artist's work, make sure that you're at least giving them a shout out, if not paying them for their work.
1: Yeah, and that's a that's a great point. And I know you and most photographers put uh, a watermark of your name or, or or website or whatever most people do in order to say, "Hey, this is mine. Don't uh, you know? Don't abuse it." But when you say a shout out on social media, do you as just as as a personal preference, do you want to be tagged every time somebody posts a photo? Because I would imagine that could get very monotonous if you know you're taking photos of. 100 people a day and everybody's tagging you on social media i would imagine your your page is just blown up by people tagging you
2: i have notifications off okay (laughs) but i do appreciate i do appreciate if people do tag because i do like to see where my photos go and um one of my biggest fears and uh one of the things that i don't want the most is for my photo to be used for the wrong thing um a A few times I've been asked why I don't stage in places that I know people are going to crash or that I know that um, something potentially dangerous or hazardous is going to happen on a a race or with a dog team. it's like, I don't want that to be the reason that I go viral. I want to be able to promote the race and I want my photos to be used only in the best way to do that. So I definitely want to see who's using them, what they're being used for. Um, if you're giving them to papers, I usually, if mushers, when mushers ask me if they can be sent to their, um, their local newspaper or whatever, I have that newspaper get in contact with me. And then I ask to see the story because I, I love this sport and I love, uh, I mean, I, I love dogs and, um, want to be able to see it continue. And, but that's, that's how I see it is if I can go back through and, find where my pictures are being used, I guess. If if I'm not tagged in it, if nobody shares it with me, I'm not going to see it. Right. Unless I'm hunting it down, but I don't have time for that either.
1: <laughs> and, and that's a, that's a great point that you made. And is it called an editorial decision in, in photography where where you're deciding the story you want to tell? Like a lot of people are are lined up at the bottom of Corral Hill there at the start of Iditarod, right right outside of Willow here to get those shots of people coming down that hill and potentially crash. And the same thing goes with Cordova Hill in the Fur Rondi. A lot of people line up there to take those those shots. Is that called editorial control or something? What do you call it?
2: Um, that's probably a good phrase for it.
1: Okay. All right. So when when you collect all of these shots and you're putting them up for the gallery And people can pick and choose, like you said, people can choose packages ahead of time and say, hey, I want X number of photos and it costs this much. What about for sites out there? I have a a friend that's a photographer. He does lighthouses and stuff in Maine, and he does a lot of his work where he uh, sells them to other sites that other people can use, like tourism, tourism boards and that sort of thing. Do you do that where you're selling photos to those types of sites that can use them for other things?
2: No. I I thought about it at one time but decided against it uh, because it goes kind of along the lines of being able to see where those photos go and the reach that they get.
1: Okay. All right. And, and that's that's definitely uh, a, a choice that, that every photographer or every creative makes is, do I want to earn my money at, you know, $50 at a pop on these sites, or do I want to sell packages or contracts or whatever? I would imagine each each one of you guys has has sort of their niche in the way that they go. So let's switch gears a little bit before we run out of time. Whitney, what is a, a cool story, if you can think of one, at a time when you're out at a race and, and just something cool happened, whether you got that miraculous shot or, or something happened or the camera froze up or or whatever. I'm just kind of thinking off the top. Tell us a story or so about a time out on the trail.
2: One of, one of my favorite stories is uh, when I was hanging out on Birch Creek with uh, my brother and another close friend of mine, and we were lined up. Um, it was when the quest also did video, so we were hired to do photos and video, and we were both... We were all standing and perfectly positioned for this three-shot combo. Um, one photo was down on the river, two were up on the bridge, one was looking, so the team was going to come into into the view, and one was looking, so the team was going to go out of view. And we waited and waited and waited on Birch Creek. And if anybody's ever heard about Birch Creek, it's usually one of the coldest places on the Quest Trail. Um, and we were standing on a bridge above it, or uh, a friend was like down on, on the bridge. And I think we waited probably about three hours and it was dark. We're waiting for this headlight to come around the corner. I'm pretty sure it was Matt Hall. And we finally see his headlamp after we're all standing out there freezing, because I don't know why we didn't think we could sit in the car, because of course he's, he's almost there, right? Three hours later, um, we see the headlamp, and we go to hit record. And the first camera, the battery's dead. <laughs> so we've alerted the other two. I I don't remember our exact order. I think it might have been me. I alert the other two that he's coming, and I had hit record, and I was like, my battery's dead, I'm trying to change my battery. Um, and as I'm changing the battery, my brother is also hitting record, and is like, my battery's dead, and uh, by the time that Matt passed the third photographer, we got about half a second of footage between the three of us.
1: Oh my goodness! And I
2: don't think it made it in the final cut.
1: <laughs> and 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 like you said, that happens, especially here in Alaska in the middle of February for something like the Quest. I mean, it can get down to thirty or forty below, and things do not work uh, like they should. I would imagine. A wedding in Hawaii is a little bit different than uh, a sled dog race in February uh, on the on the Yukon River. So one last question for me, Whitney, and that I want to make sure that we've we've covered everything you wanted to cover. So obviously, a lot of dog mushers want to take photos of their own dogs out on the trail, whether they have uh, their wife or husband or handler or whoever that's out with them to try to capture shots on their own. Could you give a tip or two to those guys, whether they're using their iPhones or a fancy camera on how they can capture the cool shots themselves without obviously, uh, you know, all the work that it takes to hire photographers just for a weekend run around the block?
2: Um, I mean, the best camera is the camera that you have with you. So it it is just a tool, really, the photographer. Is in charge of how the picture is going to turn out. So when you're taking pictures, um, if, if you are using an iPhone, um, the iPhone definitely does a lot of the work for you, but make sure that you've got good light. That if the dog needs to step one direction or back a little bit, you've got good light on that. So you can get a crisp photo. um, With your iPhone, same with video, like the light is going to make a difference. Um, Use it and get creative with it. If you're using uh, DSLR, then make sure you've got a fast enough shutter to be able to capture movement uh, and a low enough aperture that uh, it will allow you to have that fast shutter. Or if it's super sunny out, then a, a high enough aperture.
1: And like you said earlier, make sure you're down there at dog level. You don't want everything to be standing up, uh, you know, pointing down at the dogs as they run by or whatever. And with that, uh, as a follow up, do you do a lot of editing and color work and that sort of stuff on your photos? And should should the layperson be investing in that or just having raw photos sometimes the best?
2: A little bit of both. Uh, The one thing with shooting in snow is that snow always casts a little bit of a blue or gray light to all of your photos. So I do a a little bit of adjusting for that. And sometimes um, because it's white, you want to underexpose a little bit so you're not overexposing all of that white for your camera. Uh, So I'll brighten just a little bit and make sure that we're looking at more white snow, unless it was a completely overcast gray day. Then um, I don't mess with it too
1: much. And and the same would go if you're using your iPhone or whatever. Just do a little bit of a of a tweak uh, before you upload those to to your social medias, whether Instagram or whatever, right?
2: Yeah, I mean every every photographer's got to find their own look and and design. And uh, the big thing is like keep taking pictures. The only way to get better is to practice. It's, it's not something that's come to me overnight. Uh, it's taken a long time to get to where I'm at.
1: Yeah, and, and you take amazing photos. I've followed you for for a long time on social media, and I think I've used a photo or two of yours in some of our podcasts. And I, I tried my best to make sure that I give proper proper uh, credit. Sometimes it's a little different when you're doing audio and trying to figure out, okay, how do I give proper credit here Uh you know, versus on the web or whatever. So as a photographer, I would imagine you're very active on Facebook and Instagram. Where is the best place that folks can follow and see your work?
2: Yep. Um, you can follow me on Whitney McLaren photography on Facebook or WM, uh, photography, AK dogs on Instagram, um, or WM photography, AK on Instagram. I've got two, um, And then of course, check out mushingphotos.com and it'll have a lot of my social links and all those image galleries. And uh, my website is in the watermark on my pictures. And if you see those pictures um, on the race that you've attended or been to, then reach out to me and I can potentially get you in touch with more pictures. Um, I guess I I could say one more thing. Um, Not only do I have mushing packages available, so that mushers can purchase either a season package or a race package and they can purchase multiple if they decide they want more than the either amount of pictures that's in there but they can also purchase just straight prints Um, but those funds with the exception of printing costs come back to me and that's how I make it to all of these races. Uh, I've recently opened up an option for sort of sponsorship Um, and I have a couple different levels on my page for Uh, photographer support in the same way that you could support a dog team or a dog musher. And it's just how helps me get around the state of Alaska, which is not small.
1: Right. And and is that uh, like a sponsor, a dog program or like a Patreon or what?
2: I have both. I have Patreon. Um, It's still brand new. I guess it is brand new. Um, And then I have just like flat out, Uh, donation essentially where you can donate a cup of coffee you could donate a tank of gas you could donate a plane ticket
1: we'll definitely put all those links over on on our show notes page for sure so our guest guys tonight is Whitney McLaren and she is a sled dog photographer as well as weddings and pet photography and I was checking out your Uh, I don't know if it was your personal page or one of your business pages about uh, that pet photography and you had all those black and black and white photos that you were doing. I believe that was here in Anchorage. Was that right? Was that earlier this year?
2: Yep. So I worked with a uh, nonprofit called the August fund and we had a photo shoot at AK bark Um, and uh, the August fund had an adoption event outside of AK bark. And then I did portraits Um, inside upstairs and part of the proceeds went to the August fund. Uh, People were able to come and that's when I, I do color pet portraits, but I do black and white pet portrait events where people can come and have a 15 minute photo shoot and get just black and white portraits of their dog.
1: Very cool. Definitely check these guys out. She does awesome work and we'll be sure to, to link everything in our show notes. Whitney, it was a pleasure. Thank you for being on And we'll talk again soon, okay?
2: All right. Thanks so much, Robert.
1: Thank you. On behalf of my guest today, this is Robert for Mushing. We will talk to you guys next time. Goodbye.
0: Are you a fan of the great outdoors? Do you enjoy the thrill of speed and adventure? Then listen up. Introducing Mushing, your ultimate guide to the exciting world of dog-powered sports and mushing. Whether you're a seasoned musher or just starting out, mushing has got you covered. Get ready to immerse yourself in captivating stories of incredible sled dog races, expert training tips from seasoned professionals, and gear reviews to help you make the right choices for your team. From the breathtaking landscapes of Alaska to the snowy trails of Scandinavia, mushing takes you on a thrilling journey through the world of dog-powered sports. Don't miss out on the latest issue packed with exclusive interviews with top mushers, in-depth articles on sled dog nutrition, and stunning photography that will transport you to the heart of the action. So whether you're dreaming of competing in the Iditarod or simply want to learn more about this incredible sport, mushing is your go-to resource source subscribe now and get ready to unleash your passion for mushing visit our website at mushing.com or find us on your favorite podcast platform mushing where the spirit of adventure meets the power of the pack